This week's episode is brought to you by audible.com. To get a free audiobook download and 30-day trial, visit audibletrial.com slash insideoutside. Again, that's audibletrial.com slash insideoutside to download your free audiobook today. Also, Startup Week Lincoln. Mark your calendars for the week of September 27th through October 3rd, where you can attend hundreds of events, meetups, and parties to connect with the region's startup community, including a live taping of the Inside Outside podcast in coordination with Pipeline, the premier community of entrepreneurial leaders building high-growth companies. The live taping will take place at Vega in downtown Lincoln, Nebraska on Wednesday, September 30th at 4.30 p.m. As we've discussed many times on the show, there are several challenges in building a company, whether it's finding talent, the overhead of running an office, etc. This week, we're discussing remote working, which can actually be a very powerful tool in combating some of those issues that startups are facing. We also sat down to chat with Devin Brooks, co-founder of Blow. With over 50 locations, it's an international chain of blow-dry bars that is sweeping the nation. This interview is packed with insights into the early foundation of a company, her thoughts on networking, and much, much more. You simply can't miss it. All this and more on this episode of Inside Outside. Running a startup is hard. Running one outside the valley is even harder. Inside Outside is a podcast for inside access to startups outside the valley. Each week, we'll bring you real insights, raw stories, and tactical advice from founders and startup teams around the country. Let's get started. Hey, everybody, and welcome to this episode of Inside Outside. You're looking to startups outside Silicon Valley. My name is Matt Boyd. I'm Brian Ardinger. I'm Paul Jarrett. How's it going? How's how your week? How are you doing? I'm wonderful. I'm how wonderful. are you doing, pal? Are you a little bit more awake this week? I mean, uh, it, last week it's you were... varying degrees of just <laughs> tired. I like tired. Yeah, at this point, you just can't even quantify it. I mean, I have, I brought you organic, actually, it's organic energy drink, organic energy from Is green that? tea and yerba mate, mm. or, organically flavored. Nice. I know what you're going to say. Get them what? as a sponsor? Huh? Get them as a sponsor? No, he'll find an ingredient <laughs> in here that's bad. He'll find an ingredient in here that's going to kill. You can give Matt Boyd spinach and he'll say, how do I not know that a slug didn't crawl across this? How do you know? Like, <laughs> a slug true. probably did crawl, crawl across that. Uh, uh, so this week we're talking about remote working. It's a huge topic of conversation in the world of startups. startups. I got you. I got your back. And all those kinds of things. So, uh, yeah. So, Matt, you have by far the most experience in this. Um, Bulu Box, um, our company, we're just dipping our toe in, into it now. And, Brian, you've been a remote, been a remote worker. worker in Asia, which has been interesting. So I think we're going to have really interesting point of, points of view. But I also think it's, it's healthy to have a little bit of skepticism. If, sure, you're, yeah. if you're listening to this and you're like, ah, it's just never, it's never worked, oh. I think that's totally okay um up up until like probably six months ago or eight months ago i was like no no way never never going to do it and a a big reason for that to be honest is because the technology just up to this point has not been there yeah Um, spotty at best yeah Yeah. And, and you know stuff like you know google hangouts and 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 things that are just changing people's perspectives on you know what's possible with connecting with your team and all that kind of stuff so yeah you already it's like you already have the odds stacked against you and that's like yeah like but managing people also just like figuring out how to do that like as a new entrepreneur and then putting somebody working remote like that just adds another layer of difficulty however you're probably going to be able to recruit like better talent frankly 
Yeah. I mean, you know, the biggest thing with remote working is like, um, you get access to a world or nationwide talent pool, right? So right. you're not limited to the, the people in a very specific uh, geography. So I've, seen it, I've seen it work really well. Obviously, sales teams, because you know by default, salespeople are typically out in the field. So they're out there you know, trying to knock on doors and that, and oftentimes they're not in the headquarter kind of a location. So I've seen it work very well in those types of things. But there's, that also points to the fact that you know, salespeople are typically – very driven, very, you know, um, yeah. focused on, on what they need to do Their you know, their goals are aligned to, to doing that. And they don't have to be necessarily interacting with a lot of other people yeah. uh, on the ground as far as teamwork and that. So I, I think there's certain uh, parts of the business that obviously lend themselves to remote working more than others. Mm-hmm. What are some of the pros and cons that you've seen um, with remote working and squiggle? Yeah, so uh, if you don't know, my, my previous company, you know, 12 people, completely remote, 100% distributed from the very uh, from like get-go. Russia to Iowa, right? Yeah, so well, that's, we had so people in England. Um, we were thinking about hiring a guy in France at one point. Um, Did you hire somebody in Australia just for the accent? Because I would have. <laughs> <laughs> no. Um, the time zone. G'day, mate. <laughs> the time zone. That's all I would So, have. Uh, the, interestingly enough, um, there is actually, a, if you're working, if, if a core uh, of your team is in the U.S. at any, at any point, um, there's a break point right around kind of, you know, India or Asia where it just becomes really, really difficult. That kind of, uh, you know, we always like, um, overlap time. So you want, mm-hmm. you want at least a f- couple hours with your team. If you're in England or if you're in Europe or something like that, yeah. where you, you have like that two or three hour time where you're working together during the day. Um, and in Asia, you just don't get that. So it's yeah. really hard. We, we had a, a trouble. I can, I can talk to that. We've yeah. contracted out before and I mean, had that challenge. So we actually had this thing where um, we would we would travel and plan our travel around that break point so we couldn't go to Asia in general. Um, or if we did, we wanted to make sure that our guy in England was, um, was awake so that we at least had mm. some team crossover. So that's a, that's a big downside is just like you can't hire – Totally everywhere. You have to be very Somebody cognizant. Needs to start working on that time travel app. <laughs> <laughs> With it, Elon. Fix that Come, on. Come on. Yeah. So, what types of people work better in remote environments? We were talking about this before, and, and uh, we had this conversation. And, and what I've kind of come to a conclusion is, um, the person working remote needs an incredibly high level of discipline. Absolutely. Um, I think that's like strategy and discipline and planning. Um, but I think discipline is the highest overall, right? It's like, it's like the type of person that's going to go work out on their own when they travel, right? Mm -hmm. Like they, they put (laughs) something down on paper and it will happen. And there's nobody that needs to kind of check in on that. And, and I've kind of heard and seen people, um, that will actually say like, I, I work harder or they appear to work harder when they're working remote. Cause they're so kind of, you know, fearful of the perception that they're not, not working. working hard. <laughs> right. Yeah. yeah. Um, so I, I think it takes an incredible amount of discipline. Um, and also like personality type, like, um, you know, certain personalities, you know, just feed off of an environment of people and, and some personalities don't. Um, I know I talk to my wife and co-founder all the time and she's like, I could never work remotely because like, I want to be around people like that really, you know, keeps well, me going. This is kind of an interesting thing. Um, so number one, I, I 100% agree. It's very, very difficult 
for a company to transition to remote versus just starting remote. Mm. Um, because if you transition to remote, you, you already have a staff built in and it's right. really hard to vet them yeah. uh, from the standpoint, yeah. uh, you know, versus like whenever you, you're interviewing, you kind of make that discipline a core part of your interview and you vet yep. the candidates from there. Yep. So it's a lot easier to hire based on that kind of, you know, built in intentionality. So there's less legacy. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Um, so I, I think that if you're and not to say that you can't transition to remote, you just have to be much more aware of the strengths of your team yep. and the individuals who want to go remote. Yep. Um, I think one of the things that probably makes or breaks a lot of remote working situations is trust. And so, you know, how are some of the things that you can, or what are some of the things you can do to build that trust with the team? Yeah. Yeah. I think over communication is key, especially in the beginning. What about face to face? I mean, is face to face important? It is absolutely. As somebody who worked remotely for two and a half years, um, you cannot. It, it, I, I'm not going to say I'm not going to put a hard line on it, but it's very, very difficult to not uh, feel like you you're connected to somebody. Um, you know, remote working it has all the potential to be just a black box that you go off into a room, you feel completely disconnected from your right. team. Um, we made the transition into remote working. Yeah, um, and so far, knock on wood, it's gone. Uh, pretty flawless but we started talking and planning probably about eight months before we did it um and there was certain things like uh, if people at work are listening they'll be like oh yeah he did get really hard about slack asana and gmail and <laughs> you know like the times that people are going to come in and um you know we started planning and discussing and about you know their is going to be a time that the people work remotely, that they are 100% available between yeah, you know, exactly. nine to five, nine to six. Um, and you can do Slack, Asana, Gmail, Skype or Squiggle, yeah. um, you know, and, and all of those things will be available. And we need that person to like over communicate. And I think it, it comes down to a lot of like, maybe not trust, but just managing expectations. Like so much, so much of work is just managing expectations. And you just have to assume that people don't know or they forgot. And if you can kind of nail that down, um, you know, like I said, we, we started planning way, way, way ahead. And it actually took me learning that a lot of other startups and how many other companies do have remote working, um, but they don't talk about it mm-hmm. um, because I think they're, they're fearful that it will become like, you know, everybody in their company wants to do it. Um, but I think it's, it's almost inevitable or it's, it's going to become inevitable that you have to offer that. Yeah. Honestly, like, um, like, it's a thing now. Absolutely. We, we have to make, um, we have to be very, very, uh, aware that this is the trend and this is where things are going and technology is going to catch up. It, it is catching up. Um, and it's going to get like video conferencing is going to get better and better. I think that the the burden of video conferencing is that it just has to be much, much, much less friction um, to get. And, and this is why we built Squiggle, to be honest. Like if, if you're not familiar, if um, it's an app that and not to plug it or anything like that, it's just to kind of talk about the conversation. Um, basically, Squiggle is an app that that stays on. Uh, it takes a picture of your team every 10 seconds. So you can turn that that feature off. Um 
but just having that level of connection where you can see on a grid of faces of your entire remote team. And then if you want to talk to somebody, there's no calling or accepting. And we've kind of removed that model and you just literally click their picture and just start talking. It just connects one, two, three, and you're in a four person video call. And for remote workers, that level of just like seeing somebody's face during the day is the most important thing. It's, it's absolutely imperative. So you mentioned, obviously, talent, being able to access talent around the globe now with being able to, with this remote working. What other kind of tangential benefits are there to, to remote working? I mean, I can think of things like maybe less office space uh, you have to have. What are some other, other tactical Yeah, I mean, that's a, that's a huge one. I mean, just the fact that you can... Overhead. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, like, of- think about how much, especially if you're in a market like San Francisco. Right. <laughs> I mean, yeah. if you can just save you know, yep. as a startup, you're a five person team. Why get an office? Doesn't make any sense. Yep. Get a co working space. At Squiggle, we paid uh, all of our team's co working bills. Uh-huh. Um, and, you know, that just it gives them the feeling that they're working with somebody or with a group of people and they're connected. Um, but it's, you know, it's, it's actually good to have the perspective of, of not being. Um, that, that team that they're connected to is actually a different team right? because it gives them a perspective of another right. company. So, Do you think you're ever going to explain to your kids someday that you walked into an office and you sat down at a chair and you had a desk and they're going to go, that's weird. Yeah. Right? <laughs> like the same way that like everybody out, you know, was you know everybody had industry jobs like i walked into the facility and i stood on the line and i did xyz like that's crazy yeah you know and now it's gonna be i remember my day we had desks <laughs> what the hell is a desk when i was a gardener they instituted this hoteling kind of concept so we had so many people that were on the road or out um you know different remote locations and so you could call into headquarters and say i'm going to be back in the headquarters for you know this day and this day and uh, they would box up your pictures, like your you know picture of your wife and your dog, and uh, all your personal things. And when you got to the office, your cube or whatever the cube you were staying in that week had your stuff already, and, and it was kind of like personalized. And then when you left, they packed it back up in a box and yeah. <laughs> and put it in for the next nice. person. Huh. Uh, one of the things that I want to mention is um, the importance of if you have a remote team, if you're even partially remote. Um, Number one is make sure that the team feels like first class citizens. Uh, the, like the, the people who are wor- working remote are just as important as yep. the, the people who are in the office, number one. Uh, and there, there are a couple ways that you can do that. Make sure that they're a part of the day-to-day process. They're communicating just as much as the people in the office. Uh, but number two is make sure that you have FaceTime mm-hmm. um, as a remote team, especially if you're totally remote. Like you have people everywhere. We, we, you know, one time a year would fly and I know buffer that they actually put how much they spend on this. And it's a lot of money. Um, fly your team into one central location and spend, you know, four days together mm-hmm. in that place and, and, you know, make it a mixture of both work and fun and, uh, you know, team offsite. I think it's super, super important. So we did that at Lake Tahoe. It, it was, helps build that trust. I'd imagine. Yeah. I mean, it, it really kind of puts, we like, did that too at Woodcliff Lakes. Fremont, Nebraska. <laughs> Take that, Tahoe. <laughs> we got neon water in Woodcliff. Uh, yeah. So, you know, just. Um, <laughs> I love throwing you off. Yeah. Um, make sure that the team gets together. You know, it's really important to put a face to the name. 
you know, you, you can see somebody on video conferencing a hundred times, but you know, putting their, their, I remember that it, it was a very bizarre thing. I would work with these, I worked with this guy for a year and had never met him in, in person, <laughs> but we video conferenced 20 times a day. And I Is remember it seeing his legs. Oh, it was the weirdest thing <laughs> seeing pants. his face. It, it was literally like a surreal, like you are a three dimensional person. It's you like, were in three. I, the first thing I said to him was you're in 3d. <laughs> it's like seeing, um, like a Muppets character, like exactly. legs for, you know, like if you, you're like a little kid and you see him on TV all the time. And then you go to Disneyland and it's like a mascot and they just panic like, Oh my God. <laughs> yeah. I have a big, remote working pitfall if you're ready for it i'm ready make sure your camera's off (laughs) (laughs) yeah a little bit of time but yes so uh in the early 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 the i feel like i should tell this story so i can control it you you tell it (laughs) that was already i saw i'm like what what kind of so um very early on when matt started squiggle um bulu box was a, a beta tester for it um, and that was back when you just flipped it on and it was just on all it was the time. A, it was a literal, like, v- it was video on. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you just click it on. And, and um, it's shocking how quickly you get used to that little green light on your computer on next yeah. to the camera and you just forget about it. Okay. So um, cameras on. We're, we're testing it. Um, you know, me, Stephanie, um, this guy named Tegan, and, and I think a few other people at work are using it. Um and uh, uh, I am pretty much connected to technology. I actually listen to music and pod- like if I am not listening to music and podcasts, like yeah. I, I go a little bit stir crazy. So, I, of course, like any normal person, I take my computer to the restroom to play a <laughs> podcast because everybody when they're in the restroom taking a shower listens to podcasts, <laughs> right? Well, um, yeah, I forgot Squiggle was on and uh, <laughs> I came back, you know, to uh, my computer and my wife had put on there. It was pretty funny. Like, hey, Paul, your camera's on. Like, this is what the <laughs> chat part was. And it was like, Paul, your camera's on. Are you going to the bathroom? Question mark. Bathroom? Question mark. Paul, your camera's on. Mother of God. Paul, don't. Paul. Oh my God. <laughs> dot dot dot. And, and I got done, and my phone had like five missed calls, like twenty text messages. Um, so luckily, the only person that was on was my wife, um, yeah. but nobody else in the company was on. But I was like, wow, that was a huge HR disaster. We, we very very quickly. Uh, that that was the like we were, we were literally a hack together weekend project. Uh, we very quickly realized we got to put things in place for that. So, you know, you could turn your camera off, you know, you know, all kinds of safety, That's why you have safety precautions. Testers, right? right. Exactly. That's exactly why you have beta uh, testers. But you, you find were, the weak link. <laughs> so to kind of sum up. To this account com- for the lowest common denominator. <laughs> so to sum up the conversation, um, what do you guys want to say? Remote working. Remote working. Good. Yeah, you know, I. I <laughs> I, I believe in it, you know, having done it for so long. Um, I, I actually have thought about, you know, if I started another company and when I start another company, it'll, it'll also be completely remote. The, the benefits of not having to deal with office space, giving people freedom to feel like, you know, do their best work because they're in their most comfortable environment, their home or wherever that they feel comfortable. Um, you just can't beat that. And being able to hire anywhere 
I mean, I remember posting, you know, Craigslist ads or whatever for talent and or recruit just general recruiting in any market we wanted to that that freedom. It's it's unparalleled. I think it's inevitable. Um, It's happening now. It's going to continue to happen. Um, It's going to be a tough transition for some companies, but I think even a tougher transition for um, employees. I mean, I think it's never been an easier time to try it. I mean, there's so many new tools you can test and try and, and experiment with it. So, you know, give it a shot, shot and see what, what happens. A couple tools that you can find, um, obviously, Squiggle, Speak.io. It's uh, Squiggle's second product. Um, Slack, HipChat, you know, all of those kind of... Re- HipChat. HipChat, yes. People are still so, using People that? still use HipChat. Yeah. Yammer. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, go remote work today. AIMI chat. Aim chat. I don't even know what that thing is called anymore. You can affect change so immediately, and also community is intrinsic. This is Devin Brooks, speaker, advisor, soon to be author, and co founder of Blow, North America's most popular and exciting new concept, the Blow Dry Bar. With over 50 locations, Devin walks us through how she and her mother started the company, navigating what it's like to open several new markets very quickly and much, much more. This is one of the more exciting interviews we've ever done, and I'm sure you're going to love hearing her unique insight. Let's go. I'm Devin Brooks. It's very nice to meet you. And um, I'm a Canadian hanging out in Omaha today. I founded a company uh, in my second year of university called Blow Blow Dry Bar. And it wasn't just a company that I helped build and create. It was a totally new market category that um, catapulted a major shift in the beauty business. And um, since I am writing a book and have worked with a number of companies around the world, um, coaching, mentoring, and advising. So I guess the first question, kind of what got you excited in entrepreneurship? Were you... did? Did you always have the feeling that you were going to be an entrepreneur, or what, what was the catalyst to that? Right. <laughs> um, well, I ate a lot, and <laughs> I had to pay for that. Um, no, I, I watched my mom I watched my mom hustle my whole life, and you know, the entrepreneurship game was different for me than it was for her. She was an entrepreneur out of necessity, and I was an entrepreneur because I didn't know there was any other way. You know, I watched my mom. By the time I was in my late teens, she had founded and run three companies and um, all that were successful and in different industries and um, multidimensional, had international growth. So I just that was just a part of my DNA, I guess. I, I literally I didn't know that I could go get a job. <laughs> I didn't. So tell us how, a little bit, how did it start? What was the, the idea and, and the genesis of how you got started with Blow? Uh, it was actually so simple. So my mom, her name's Judy Brooks, and is obviously a brilliant entrepreneur. And we had an amazing relationship, always wanted to work together. And for about a year and a half before that, we were just going back and forth on ideas that we wanted to, to, to do, you know, what would be viable, what would be good, what got us excited. And, you know, we would talk about a lot of different concepts. At the time, um, pop-up shops were not happening. And we were like, you know, there was this, there was this small concept that we had kind of seen in the States. And we thought about bringing that to Canada in a bigger way. And so many, you know, we went through that process of, of all the ideas you flesh through. No, 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 not enough. No, no, no. And then we were on the phone one day and, 
And uh, we were talking about how at some top 100 women in business event or whatever in Canada, all these women had terrible hair and that that just wasn't fair. (laughs) And we thought, like, why? How is this? How could that be? And there just there wasn't um, there wasn't anybody serving that need, you know, for busy women, um, busy career women or for moms or for people on the go. There just wasn't convenient, affordable, quality hair. Um, you know, like there is for coffee. It just wasn't easy. You went to a salon, it was expensive. You know, you, um, you got washed and kind of semi-dried by a junior stylist and maybe some point passed on to someone senior. So as soon as we even just pulled back the curtains on that, we realized that there was a total gap in the market and didn't take much research at all, to be honest. It was like, we're two women, oh my goodness, how is this not happening? And it was kind of around the time of um, nail bars popping off on the scene. And it had it had just gone from like the, the cheap and cheerful Vietnamese nail bar to like now there's a branded experience. And we were just like, there needs to be, this, this needs to happen for hair. And I remember writing in the business plan that blow was going to be the Starbucks of the beauty regime. And now I have seen that used by many of its competitors and mom and pop shops. And I dig that so hard because it means it worked. Yeah. Now you're in what, 50 locations around the world. Yeah. Um, so take us through that, that, I guess, evolution from store number one to where you are today. Oh, yeah. It was such a fun journey. And, the, and I feel like those... <laughs> It's like the heyday of, of every startup, right? Those first few years and the partnerships are so fun and the growth. Every new location feels like a whole new world and it's so exciting. So we opened our first location and um, we knew very quickly that we we had done something right and that we were speaking a language that other people didn't know they were speaking yet but were. And um, we launched, and within a week and a half, we had a double-page spread in Hello Magazine. We had people jumping out of black SUVs and running into our location, paparazzi-style photos of of the interiors and running back into the car, wouldn't answer us, what are you doing here? Um, You know, we were booked solid Thursdays, Fridays, Saturdays, Sundays. And um, and then before we even talked about becoming a franchise openly and publicly, we had franchise requests rolling in. So between the media, um, the schedule, uh, the buzz, we just we knew we were onto something. And very quickly, because as, as I feel like the best things are, because we were so simple, we knew that. Um, that we were going to build this to scale it and we knew that that also happened to happen had to happen with some speed because um it wouldn't it's not an expensive business so you know it would have been really easy for someone else to roll in at that time and a big you know a big box beauty person and and like sephora or whoever and say oh this is look at these this cute little thing they're doing you know (laughs) we want to do that why aren't we doing that we're going to own that so, you know, we just started growing. And I think the thing that we, we actually, I don't know that we knew how smart we were being, um, me and my two co-founders, Val Litwin and Judy Brooks at the time, but we were systemizing from day one. I mean, before we even opened our doors, we had employee handbooks, we had marketing handbooks, we had, you know, when, when somebody... Um, 
inquires about a, an unhappy client or an unhappy experience, which we call the split end. How do you respond to that? We were just processing. We were systemizing everything. And that meant that when franchise requests started coming in, we could start looking at those seriously. Yeah. Exactly. So, you know, really quickly, I mean, we we grew and within um, within the first couple of years, we had grown across Canada. And um, and by the time we grew into ter the Ontario market and really owned that category, it was clear that um, the rest of the world had caught on and we had now colossal press by that time, which was awesome. And, you know, global franchise requests. And we were starting to look at our next our first uh, U.S. location, which was San Francisco, which I went and opened. And um, how many months before from day one to the back? to our U our first yeah. U.S. location? Oh my goodness, you're making me think way back when, way back um, when I had the red and black lumberjack, right? <laughs> That's a good song. Um, that would have been probably 24 months, just over 24, 24 months. Um, so it was all pretty quick, you know? It was pretty quick. And we opened our first location in 2007, and, um, and I backed out of the company operationally over three and a half years ago. Yeah, it's been pretty exponential growth and 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 really just a positive a positive space that we launched. I mean, when I think I'm not only happy about um, the company that I created, I'm happy about the space that we created. And when I look and I just got my hair blown out here by a, a local blow dry bar and I see the woman and I hear the experience and that makes me so proud. What's it like having your mom as a co-founder? It was awesome. Um, there were definitely some days where I'd, instead of, you know, looking across the table and and seeing my partner, I'd be like, Mom, right? <laughs> if, I, if I didn't agree with something or... Um, and there were definitely conversations, learning curve conversations, where it was like, you know, hey, when we had this discussion in this way, I felt like X. And um, in the future, if we have this kind of... Um, conflict. Can we approach it from this way? And and we were also in business with um, a, a, a guy named Val Litwin who became our best friend. And the three of us were like very close. And he's family now. He's a he's a staple at family dinner. And um, it was incredible. I mean, definitely working with somebody you love um, has its own unique set of challenges. But the payoff is magnanimous. Um, so you say you have a book coming out. Do you want to talk a little bit more about this? Sure. <laughs> um, my agent is uh, just a couple of weeks away from pitching to a major publisher, so you guys better put out the good vibes for me. <laughs> um, so I won't tell you the, the working title because we haven't put that through the process yet, but it's a motivational memoir, and um, it it is it's going to be exploratory around uh, really what is courage and what it requires to be an ambitious woman in the new world order and um, I'm really really excited about it so, so how do you navigate working and kind of growing a business from a smaller market like Canada and then moving it to different regions and that and basically building something outside of the, the, the tech centers or the or the big places where people think that you have to start yeah so um, I'll speak to to starting blow in 07 I mean I'm I thought it was so cool that we that we 
were able to catapult an industry the way that we were coming from a non-hub at the time. Vancouver was a non-hub. If you weren't in finance, then you definitely, someone thought you were a snake, (laughs) but it was a hub for finance. But um, yeah, I mean, it was a non-hub and and today it it is a lot, a, a very exciting place in terms of startup entrepreneurship and especially tech entrepreneurship. Guys like Ryan Holmes and Hootsuite, really cool companies have come out of Vancouver um, or in retail, Native Shoes. There, there's some really Arcteryx. I mean, I could go on and on, um, aside from the obvious like EA. But um, I think the thing that differs is the way that in smaller environments you can you can affect change so immediately and also community is intrinsic. It's not only important to your business, if you're not recognizing from day one that whatever you're doing, it's about the people and it's about you know how can you bring in as many people into your mission as possible. Um, so important in small environments, um, important all the time, but so important in small environments. And And I think like over the last few years, working with concepts in other countries, last year I worked with a group of investors in Mexico and launched a new business there with them, building a business model and a brand experience. And, you know, that was incredibly fascinating for me because that was way outside of the valley (laughs) and and way outside of the Midwest. And, you know, that taught me a great deal about cultural nuances um, and and just such a fantastic reminder about business as a vessel for change and and I'm not just talking about social enterprise or nonprofit but like what happens when you create jobs and if you're not thinking about your culture and the experience you're creating you're missing the point and so when I when I had the opportunity of doing that with this incredible group of people in Mexico, um, it really it really just brought that home for me. And I get so excited about that kind of reach and working with different people. And I feel like, you know, whatever you do, um, whether whether it's in the growth of your own company or just in reaching out and building relationships with people in other markets, I mean. I like to make a friend over the phone. I love when somebody emails me and has never met me and it's like, is there any way we can connect? I'd love to ask you a question just because they're from a different place and a different industry and they just want to, you know, fire back, you know, a Q&A. I love that. And so, I, yeah, I mean, I just think there are inherent differences and I think that it's so compelling to get out of your comfort zone and to remind yourself what's important. How, how do you connect? So um, if you're wanting to connect to that smaller community, right? So um, knowing that the small community is important mm-hmm. and, and, you know, we come from small communities, um, somebody who's just getting into that world, how do you, what's the best way to connect? It, it so goes beyond networking events. I mean, you, networking is kind of a dirty word, <laughs> but, but it is, it's, it so goes beyond that. It's about building relationships. It's about not wanting to be the smartest person in the room and and asking questions from the people you admire and letting those people know that you admire them and, um, and, and asking for help. 
uh, from your community and from, you know, the big boys and girls who've gone further and and started earlier than you. Because you will get there one day, and or you can get there one day. And the fact is, nobody does anything great without a tribe. We just, we don't, we can't impact and influence the kind of change singularly as we can when you've got a mob of people who share a mission. And so I think, yeah, go deeper than networking. Like, think about the people in your community, from your town, you know, from from the the local people who have inspired you to your core and who you feel like have shaped your values in some way. And put yourself out there. Reach out to them. And and I'm not just talking about the big boys and girls. It could be the the coffee shop that you love and the, some little local entrepreneurs. And go talk to them about how they have cultivated that environment. Mm-hmm. You know, so I think we get we get so stuck on the people who have done things well and kind of who've risen to greatness from our little our humble beginnings. But it's not just about that. It's it's about appreciating what's happening and the people in your environment. So I would say, I would say what's inspiring you, figure that out, and then connect with people who you think share your values and, and talk to them about how they're using business to live those values. Awesome. What drives you every single day? <laughs> what drives me every single day, I feel like, is, is pretty simple. Aside from... I'm, I'm a new mom. My son is almost a year. On September 11th, he was born on a big day. And um, he's so peace. His name is Rosen. And obviously, my guys, my men, Shay and Rosen, my husband and my son, um, they're my team. And they're the most important team I'm ever going to have. And, and so a lot of what I do is because I want to be a good role model in my relationships with the people that I love. But it's also because I know what my core mission is. And that is all about transformative dialogue. And it's about intimate community in unconventional ways. And every day that I get up, I know that that's what I'm looking for. And I'll say yes to the person who shares that. And I'll say yes to the idea that brings that home and, and that brings me closer to my mission. So how can our community help you? And how can they connect with you in the future? <laughs> That's a great question. Um, well, I, I really, I love to be accessible. I mean, that's what Blow was all about. It, it was driven by a love for community and, and everything that I've done since I understood that about myself has been about connecting with people. So I'm so glad you asked. Um, anyone who's listening can get a hold of me at d at devsdevelopment.com. And I really, really encourage you to sign up for my site because I can't spam you unless you. <laughs> no, please sign up for my site. You know, I've, I've got some really cool things going on that I'd love to bring the larger community in on. And, um, uh, you know, if anyone ever needs support in, in a bigger way or and more intimate way um i'm i'm open to discussing advisory and um yeah you know really the most important thing is that i feel like when you when you have power and you feel powerful you have a duty to empower others and i just try and make myself as accessible and available as possible so i'm here for you i'm your girl well that's it for this episode we hope you enjoyed it thanks so much to devin brooks for taking time to chat with us 
Feel free to give Devin a shout out on Twitter and let her know how much you enjoyed the interview. Her Twitter handle is at devsdevelopment. If you have a question for us this week, you can reach out on Twitter as well at the IO podcast. And if you haven't already subscribed on iTunes, go ahead and do that now. Music for this podcast is brought to you by bensound.com and John Daly and the 41 players. Until next time, go build something big.